Today's message is entitled Violent Winds, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But we've been looking at the person of the Holy Spirit and uh, the, the analogies that uh, the Scriptures use mostly when talking about the Holy Spirit. Not, and we've talked about the oil and the, and the, and the, the wind and the fire. And uh, we've gone through the fire series, we went through an oil series, we're, doing a, we're starting a wind series today, simply because I felt like um, it's time for the church to be focused on the person of the Holy Spirit, to become familiar and uh, friendly and intimate, if you like, with Him. Uh, he is the member of the Godhead that the Scripture says in this dimension, in this time, we are supposed to be following. He says, now... Corinthians says, now at this time, the Lord, the master, the one who's in charge, is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is given lordship, there will be liberty. And the Scripture says, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they will become the grown-up children of God. There is a moment, there is a dispensation where the church needs to learn how to be led by the Spirit of God. And in order to do that, we've just been focusing here. And I know it's taken... Uh, you know, three or four months so far, we've been spending this time, and I don't mind it taking another three or four. Um, it's like the, the, like the opera singer who came out and sang, and the people, when she finished, they said, encore, encore, and she sang it again, and they shouted, encore, encore, and she sang it again, and they shouted, encore, encore, and when she, she came out, she said, oh, I, I really can't, I must stop, my voice is getting hoarse, and a voice at the back said, we're going to sing it till you get it right. We're going to preach it till we start living this, right? We're going to preach it until it gets into your heart, until he becomes who he wants to be in our lives. Now, there was a man named Nicodemus, and you, you know the story. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, famous story in John 3, and he comes under the cover of darkness, and we know a few things about Nicodemus. One, he was a very wealthy man because... Later on, the story jumps to when Jesus is dead, Nicodemus joins Joseph of Arimathea, and they bring about a hundred pounds worth of special embalming herb, which is very expensive. So he was a wealthy guy to embalm Jesus' body. Um, we know that he was called a ruler of the Jews, which was mean, means he was one of the Sanhedrin, one of the top 70 religious leaders in Israel. And Jesus called him a teacher of Israel, and then finally we know about him that he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees at that time were about 6,000 religious leaders in Israel. They recognized that the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, were the divinely inspired word of God to man. They believed that. They had memorized the Torah by the age of eight. Uh, they had memorized the rest of the Old Testament by the age of 13. The best of the best of those students were invited to become disciples, and some of the disciples who became the best and showed the most aptitude became rabbis. And um, so he had, he had really just memorized that. But in addition, Pharisees believed it wasn't just those five books, but there was also something called the Mishnah, which was the codifying and the kind of the description of those five books. So, in the, in, for example, in the, in the Torah, it says, keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work. And in the Mishnah, there were 24 chapters of writing about what that passage meant. So, a Pharisee didn't just obey the Scriptures, they obeyed the Mishnah as well. And then on top of the Mishnah, there was the writings called the Talmud. And the Talmud was a comprehensive 
written version of the Jewish oral law. So a Pharisee sought not only to obey the scriptures, but also the misna, the commentary of the scriptures, and then the oral traditions of the Jew about the understanding of the scripture. So a Pharisee was desperate to walk in perfect righteousness in order to win the favor of God. And Nicodemus had spent his entire life in that mode. And so when he comes to Jesus, he's in that mode. Let's go to the story. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, member of the ruling Jewish council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, why, thank you, Nicodemus. Very kind of you to say so. It's nice to meet you. I'm thrilled. Uh, Do you have any questions? No. Jesus seems to answer in a way that's completely incongruent to what Nicodemus just said. He goes, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, because he's gone into misnonode. Okay, Talmud. He's, his mind is now searching out What could this possibly mean? Surely you cannot enter a second time into your mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and born of the Spirit. Because flesh will give birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This seems like answer and a question and question time. It's not answer and answer time. Because he asks a question, Jesus explains, and now you've got more questions than the original one. Right? And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to understand, Nicodemus, you have come because you're looking for a theological perspective that'll help you just be perfect. And he just throws out the salvo and says, Nicodemus, you're not even going to hit the starting blocks. You're not even going to be able to collect 200 and pass go unless you are born again. Because the Spirit of God must give birth to your spirit or else you won't even come close to the kingdom of God. Now, if anybody could have made it by the works of the law, it would have been Nicodemus. If anybody could have presented their perfect righteousness and their credentials before God, it would be a Pharisee. And I think that Jesus was speaking to this Nicodemus to make uh, him aware that there is a common error, uh, that this uh, relationship with God is not something to be discussed, it's something to be experienced. He speaks about the wind which is unseen, yet experienced. So the Greek word for pneuma is the Greek word, means, it both means wind and it means spirit. All right? It's used interchangeably. The same is true of the Hebrew word ruach. It means both spirit and wind. And so the Holy Spirit works in a way that is substantially beyond our comprehension, unknown, to the laws of the mind, but we can hear his sound. You can hear the sound of the wind. 
You can feel its force, but you cannot see it. You cannot know it completely. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, Jesus said, or where it ends. And that's what the Spirit is like in all He does. In regeneration, in sanctification, in restoration, He is both powerful and imperceptible. He's forcefully clear and indiscernible. He's unaccountable to us. He does not attend to our order. He is not subject to our command. And although he works powerfully with evident effects, just like the wind, he must be cooperated with but cannot be contained. He must be partnered with, but he cannot be owned or manipulated. Are we tracking so far? So when you get born of the Spirit, when the Spirit of God gives birth to your spirit, you suddenly enter a new phase of being able to hear and see because unseen realities are are now impacting our lives. We're suddenly privy to a world that impacts the world we live in yet is unseen. We only know that He exists because of the effects of what He produces. Barnes said the following, Men just now sinful become holy. The thoughtless become serious. The licentious become pure. The vicious moral. The moral religious. The prayerless prayerful. The rebellious and obstinate meek and mild and gentle. And when we see such changes, we ought no more to doubt that they are produced by some cause, by some mighty agent, than when we see the trees moved or the waters of the ocean piled on heaps or feel the effect, the cooling effect of a summer's breeze. This is the reality. Jesus said everybody who is born of the Spirit is going to experience this. You're going to feel the Spirit of God moving and touching and and doing things in your life, but you're not always going to be able to describe the exact details. And I don't know if it's like that with you, but I've had some encounters with the Holy Spirit, and when I get up off the floor or wherever I've been, and I try and explain what just happened to me, I know something real and something powerful and something transformative just happened to me, but it's very difficult to take that and put it into words so that people can go, I think I'll give that an A. I think I'll join you there. So we begin to see, the scripture talks about this, you're going to see the effects of the Spirit of God, but you're not necessarily going to know the exact detail. So Romans 8 talks about the Spirit testifying with our spirits that we're God's children. And John talks about this is how we know we live in Him and He lives in us. We know it because of the Spirit He gave us. And Galatians 4 talks about that the Spirit will come into our hearts and cry, Abba. He'll, he'll uh, work in us a, uh, an intimacy with the Father, this tenderness. The Spirit of God at work. And this is part of what we understand. We, we, we know that the Spirit of God is going to do. Now, one of the things I've discovered in the church is uh, about half the church doesn't believe the Holy Spirit does anything today. Right? They, they don't think He moves. They don't think he, he wants to touch people. They don't think He heals people anymore. They don't believe He speaks to the church. They think the Holy Spirit somehow moved back to heaven. But that is not evident anywhere in the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And He is the deposit from heaven that God has given to us. God put a down payment, as it like, on your redemption. And that down payment was, He said, Here, you can have my Spirit who is a deposit that guarantees that the rest is coming. So don't think that God took his deposit back. 
or that the Spirit of God left you somehow. No, the Spirit of God has come on Pentecost and He stayed. So He's not going anywhere. He has come to transform your life. Now, so that's half the church don't believe that. The other half of the church have a theology. Well, a large portion of the church have a theology that, and, and tell me if you've heard this, the Holy Spirit will never do anything to make you uncomfortable. Because he's such a gentle person. And he is. But he's also God. He's also the most awesome warrior in the universe. He also is full of glory. He also is the master of all. And so sometimes I've seen the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Oh, no, God will never do that. No, he will. He will. So I think uh, today I'm hoping that I'm gonna just going to grab hold of the edges of your perception and just stretch a little to say that sometimes the Holy Spirit comes like a violent, rushing wind. Sometimes it's not just a gentle breeze that, that uh, suggests itself to your senses as leaves grow, grow across the lawn. Sometimes it's like a hurricane. I'm going to have to prove that I can see. When God created mankind, he breathed. The, the same word, ruach, he, he gave breath, he gave wind into man and man uh, came up. And we're going to learn about this reality because this is all over scripture. The breath of God, the wind of God. Um, but the, I want to talk today about the power of the wind, that there is an expecting and asking sometimes for the power. The idea that God comes as a wind or that he harnesses the wind is completely known all over scripture. The, the great story of when Israel cried for, for meat, he said, okay, and he sent four winds and they, they chased up a massive herd of quail and they bounced the quail around for a, a few days until the quail were completely exhausted and then the God stopped the wind and then the quail fell knee deep in every direction around the tents of Israel. When he parted the Red Sea, he sent a wind and it blew the sea open up both sides and the, and the sea stood in a heap on both sides and Israel walked down the middle. Do you think the hair was blowing? Do you think the ladies were, oh, I wish this one. I don't know. But it's a pretty fierce wind that God sent to back that sea up on both sides. We like to embrace this metaphor of the wind that Jesus used, but most of us think of gentle breezes. But sometimes he comes like a hurricane, like a violent, mighty, awesome, amazing, dangerous, unstoppable wind. Elijah found this. He, God said, come stand at the mouth of the cave that you're in, and God sent a wind, and it began to split the rocks up in front of the cave. A deluge from heaven was heard at Pentecost. So I want to look at some scriptural examples and some promises that the Holy Spirit was going to come like this so that maybe you can expect in your life the same treatment. See, I, I think God wants to move power, powerfully, even violently against some of the things that are holding you back. Anything that denies you your inheritance, anything that wants to hinder your walk with God, so let's talk for a while about how he comes as a rushing wind. 
The first and most obvious example is Pentecost, when we're on post, on time. See, Pentecost happened in a specific place at a specific time with a specific group of people who were doing what Jesus told them to be doing. Come with me to Acts 1. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, now let me just stop. Jesus had said when he was raised from the dead, he said to Mary, go and tell them to meet me on the mountain that I showed them. And Jesus lived most of the time and most of his ministry was up north, uh, up north of Galilee. And so Jesus had spent most of his time there, about 20, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. There was a mountain and Jesus had shown his disciples, said, come meet me here. This is, remember this. And so when he was raised, he said to Mary, go tell him to meet me on the mountain. So that's about an 85 mile, maybe 100 mile to the mountain hike from Jerusalem. So the disciples left Jerusalem, walked 100 miles, went to the mountain, and Jesus began to show up. Peter got tired of standing around the mountain, so he went fishing. And that's the first time Jesus shows up when Peter's fishing, reinstates Peter. And then the Bible says here, that for about 40 days, Jesus was showing himself to them. He would show up at places, and they were eating, and he'd walk through walls, and he'd say, hey, guys, how are you doing? And so he gave many convincing proofs to them that he was alive, and it was a, must have been a fascinating season because every day Jesus would show up somewhere, and he was explaining the kingdom of God to these disciples, and it was very exciting. And then he's eating with them, and he says, now listen, you guys are going to have to go back to Jerusalem. And when you're in Jerusalem, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you get the gift that my father promised. And so they, they do the 100-mile hike back to Jerusalem. And they're waiting in Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, they're all together. Now, Bible says Jesus showed himself to about 500 people. And in the day of Pentecost, there were 120 in the room. What happened to the other 380 they got lost somewhere on the road there and on the road back. Someone had to take their kids to a soccer match. Somebody had to, the carburetor breakdown and took this thing to the shop. They had legitimate excuses why they weren't at the place that Jesus had said, hey, you need to be here. And, but there were 120 in the room. And those 20 in that room have this experience. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. The sound of the blowing of a violent wind. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. Their whole house sounded like a thousand freight trains of noise. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Three things to notice. It was sudden, it was sound, and it was strong. It moved them. Literally, the, the verse means like a violent blast of sound that gets driven. It sounded like uh, the, a window of heaven had opened and a mighty wind was descending on the earth, which is exactly what was happening. And it centered around the house where they were sitting, 
It's another sermon for another time. They were sitting. They were not standing. They were seated. The work had been done. And they were waiting there in obedience to Jesus' command. I often wonder about the other 380 who did not make the upper room. And I wonder if they were sad that they weren't there. No doubt they got filled with the Holy Spirit. No doubt they went on to lead lives that were in obedience to Jesus. But I'm pretty sure that all of them would have loved to have been there on the day when the Spirit of God broke out and tongues of fire settled on their heads. There are some times that God calls you to be in specific places at specific times, and a violent wind has been commissioned to meet you there. Did you get that? Some of you sitting here, you're going, oh, I want the violent winds of the Spirit of God. God has appointed the violent winds at a specific time, at a specific place, and He has spoken to you about what you need to do to get you there. But not everybody takes up the command or the whisper or the invitation of the Spirit of God to be at the place where the violent wind is going to fall. Now the whole city of Jerusalem comes out and they're amazed and perplexed because everybody is hearing the sound of a hurricane and there is no wind blowing. Why else would the entire city be out in the street? What is going on? Amazed and vexed and perplexed, people come out and they hear, they gravitating, a large crowd is gravitating towards the place that is the epicenter of the sound because the Bible says that the, the room where they were sitting was filled with the sound. And so the crowds come out and the tongues of fire and they speak in tongues and they burst out of the room and the crowd just sees something going on, an extraordinary perplexing sign from heaven. Do you want one? Yeah. Waiting in Jerusalem, on post, on time, under orders from Jesus. They didn't know what was coming. They just knew that they were supposed to be there. Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift that my father promised. I want to say, what has God promised you? Sometimes the promises of God require faith and patience and waiting. They were waiting for the gift. Imagining. I'm sure they had conversations. What do you think is coming? Do you think... The Spirit of God's going to come on us like He came on Elijah, maybe like David. Do you think maybe we'll kill giants? Do you think maybe we'll be able to strike waters and waters will part? The, the, the imaginings of this group. And then suddenly, the Bible says, suddenly, the sound of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they were experiencing something that was hard to describe. Where has the Lord told you to be? What instructions has He given you? Don't sweat that every moment of your obedience doesn't have a violent wind. Suddenly, it comes. God makes a promise and He always keeps His promise, but He'll often ask you to meet Him somewhere at an appointed time where His Spirit will show up powerfully. So often in the modern church, we want everything to make complete sense. Justify it to me. Explain it comprehensively. And after I've logically evaluated, I might ascend. 
or sent to that experience. But God, by his Holy Spirit, just doesn't work that way. He shows up like the wind to be experienced. He moves deeply. He ushers us in directions. He empowers course changes. He leads us to still waters and then again to high seas. It's an adventure following the Spirit of God. People go, I I would rather follow the Scriptures. Just give me the code. Just give me, actually just give me 10 commandments. That's much easier than this adventure that I'm called to in the spirit. I can explain these logically. I can, I can memorize these 10. I can tell people, this is my code. But when the spirit of God says, now I want you to do this, and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Could it be that God's waiting for you somewhere? What's he told you to do? I just dare you. I dare you to do it. Second place, Scripture talks about when the violent wind comes. So, so violent winds we can expect on the other. Now, let me just pause because I, I, we can get lost here. We can get dangerously lost in, expe- in thinking that we are the ones who earn the, the, the wind. No, the Spirit of God came because Jesus paid for all your sins. The church of Jesus Christ was washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Every temple was first washed with water and with blood. Moses' tabernacle, Solomon's tabernacle, first they sprinkled it with blood, then they sprinkled it with water, and then they sprinkled it with oil, and then they stood back, and then the Spirit of God came and filled the temple. The the Spirit of God only came on this Pentecost because Jesus had been the Passover lamb. His blood had been shed, and these people, when they believed in Jesus, that blood was applied to their life. And then on this day, they were about to enter into the baptism in water. They applied the blood, they were baptized in water, and the Spirit of God came and filled the new temple with tongues of fire over their head. He was showing them this is the new way. And everything that comes to us, the moving of the Spirit of God, is not on the merits of our own actions, but on the merits of Jesus' actions. I don't want you to get lost in that truth. But given that, Scripture says, when our enemy attacks, you should expect a violent response from the Spirit of God. Let me take you to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, for sake of time, I'm not going to read you all of this. I had a whole bunch of scriptures to read. But basically, Isaiah 59 is saying that the nation had got into such a bad shape that uh, that it was ugly. People were doing whatever they wanted. There was no fear of God. There was no justice in the streets. Education was in a mess. You know, it, was, it wasn't a good place, and the nation was turning away, and God was angered and frustrated, and so he was wondering, where are the people who are interceding? Where are the people who are crying out for justice? Where are the people who are saying, God, move? And even the intercessors had become quiet, and so the Bible says, so God worked by his own arm. He said, okay, I'll do it. And so that's kind of where we are. Verse 18, probably the third slide. He says, according to what they've done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. Now, the next phrase, if if you're part of the remnant who still reads the King James, you will remember the scripture. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit will raise a standard against him. Now, that 
when the enemy comes in, there should be a comma there. When the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, the Spirit will raise a standard against him. Most modern translations would put it up like this. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along, and the Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My Spirit who is on you will not depart from your mouth. My words that are in your mouth will always be on your lips and on the lips of your children and on the lips of your descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. That phrase, he will come like a pent-up flood, like a raging flood driven along by the breath of the Lord. It's like a dam wall that breaks, that pent-up energy, but now you've got a tailwind driving that. It's not just that it's pent-up, it's being driven. Dam wall burst, everything's coming at you, and there's a wind behind it just to make sure. When the enemy comes in, that's how God responds. I like that too much. Sometimes, when injustice is stinging, and when evil is, seems like it's winning, and when things, there's no justice in the streets, and there's no right standing, and people are not doing the right thing, or, or, or standing for truth, I go, God, come like a pent-up flood. Just wash this away. Just clean this out. Make a resolution. Turn this around. Bring life, Father. And he says, this is for the sake of the, the fear, the reverence of his name, that people should esteem him and revere him. And when the enemy comes in, God says, I will come back at him like a flood driven by powerful winds. And when you've been buffeted and your people are quick to rush into sin around you and they're shedding innocent blood and they pursue evil schemes and there's acts of violence and, and, the, and they don't know the way of peace and there's no justice. When fear has been a constant companion and groaning seems more appropriate than anything else and when it feels like the enemy has gotten into your house, then at that time, I'm challenging you today to call for the pent-up flood that's driven by the Spirit of God. Because the Lord will rise up, you know, Isaiah says, like he did at Mount Perizim, and he will rouse himself like he did in the Valley of Gibeon to do this work, his strange work, to perform this task. And he said, Your, this covenant with death will be annulled and the agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand for this overwhelming scourge will sweep by and it will beat those things down and as often as it comes, it will carry them away and morning by morning and day after day, it'll sweep through. The Lord will rise up like he did at Mount Perizim. You know what happened at Mount Perizim? David was just freshly anointed king and the Philistines came out to, to, to attack and he said to the Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, stand here and watch. And then the Lord broke out against them like a pent-up flood. And, it's, and David called that place Baal Perizim, the God of the breakthrough, because he said God just broke out against them. In the Valley of Gibeon, they were, they were fighting and there was no, and they were winning, but they, they just needed more time. And he said, Lord, can you keep the sun still? And the sun stayed up for another day so they could slaughter their enemies. Lord says, when that scourge comes by, it's going to be like those two times. When I broke out and I kept the sun up because there was too much, too much killing to be done, too little daylight. I'm going after some things, the Lord says. And sometimes in the church, we've got this Jesus, sweet, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yes. And also, the warrior. And also, the God who won't, won't stand for stuff. And also, the God 
who is forgiving and kind and gracious and compassionate and who does not leave the guilty unpunished. Also, and there's some of you sitting here and it's been a tough couple of years and you have struggled with the injustices and you're fighting the enemy and there's no right in your life and some of you just need to be calling out, God, send the flood. When the enemy comes in, he will come like a pent-up flood driven by the Spirit of God. I've often wondered what it would be like if everybody has surrendered to the Holy Spirit's Lordship. What kind of a community would this be? The nature of the Spirit of God on display. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He had pulled down selfish ambition and he'd established the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He'd destroy evil and injustice and he'd establish truth and righteousness. He'd pour a deep love for one another into our hearts. Powerful, violent, pent-up, Sweeping scourge. These are the kinds of words the scripture uses about this moment when God comes. Upsetting the order of things that are improperly ordered. Realigning things to look like his kingdom. So we've come to embrace the wind. To surrender to his will. To love his moving. So many times when I've had a significant moving with the Holy Spirit, it's hard for me to describe it. My mind struggles to make sense of a significant encounter. I don't have much time, but I had an encounter. We'd lost three children. It was a big grief in our life. Our children had died over a couple of months, buried children. I was in a meeting, and the presence of God, the Spirit of God came on me, and I remember just not being able to sit through the worship, just weeping my way through. And, and I don't, he preached and then he finished the sermon and I said to Michelle, just leave me here, please. And they went out to lunch and I was the only person left in the auditorium and I was lying under the second row. And I had my handkerchief stuffed in my face because I was weeping and groaning because the Spirit of God descended on me. And I don't know how to tell you this because it makes no sense, but it felt like he sat on my belly as I was lying on the ground and he rummaged through my heart and he brought up something and we talked about it. And I groaned and wept. I know what the scripture says, that the spirit will groan in intercession. I know what that feels like. And I groaned and wept my way through some of the issues that were in my heart. And I can't describe it to you, but when I got up off that floor about an hour and a half later, I was healed. The wind. You'll hear its sound. You'll feel its effect. But you don't know the details. Some of you sitting here, you've said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold back and let, let the Lord come and explain this to me. <laughs> Jesus said, if you're born again, you're gonna feel the wind. 
You can experience things. And your spirit can reach out and grab hold of something that your mind does not yet understand. And I'll just take a moment to invite you to do that. Because right now, although there's not a breath of wind in this room, in the spirit, there is a violent rushing wind. And if you could just hit pause on these five senses and open up your heart, you might just experience something transformative. So let's pray. I'm going to pray for you. But I just want to ask you to say, Lord, here I am. I'm opening my heart. You can have all of me. Lord, there are some of us that you've told You've whispered something to do, and Lord, we've, just to be honest, we haven't gone there. But today, Lord, I feel like I'm, I'm ready to do what you told me to do. And Lord, it doesn't all make sense. And I can't explain it to other people. And I don't need to. But I feel like I've heard you, Lord. So here I am. I'm on the road. I'm on the way. I'm sitting in a room I'm waiting for your promises and I know that the day is coming when the sound of a violent wind is going to move me to the next level and I know you've been moving Lord all this morning even while I've been speaking and before that so I just release, Lord, an increase of your moving in those people's hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would transform us as a people. And that an increase, Lord, of the moving of the Spirit of God among us, the increase, Lord, of the winds of the Spirit of God would be normal. Uh, so we receive from you, Holy Spirit. We feel, Lord, in the Spirit, the violence of what you're trying to do and what you're wanting to do in us. Come and do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Lord, for those people who are hard-pressed by the enemy, you, you promise, Lord, when the enemy comes in, like a flood, like a pent-up river driven by the breath of God, I'm asking, Lord, that you'd send that flood. I'm asking, Lord, this week, send that flood into some people's lives. Lord, they know, you know who they are. Send that, the scourge, Lord, that drives out the enemy, breaks down, Lord, what the enemy's established, tears away at injustice, breaks off, Lord, that which is unrighteous. Send a flood, a pent-up flood, driven by the breath of the Lord. And stir up, Lord, among your people a new day. Now, Lord, I feel your peace in this place. I release peace. Peace. Peace like a river. And I thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name. Amen.